0: Whoa, you went no contact with your family? Like, you don't talk to them at all? Nope, because they're toxic as fuck. Are you also the villain for walking away from your toxic family in order to preserve your peace? Welcome to the Character Outs podcast, where I am on a mission to normalize going no contact with toxic family. Welcome all you terrible people. Let's talk about it. Welcome back to the Character Outs Podcast. My name is Terry, and I'm so happy that you're here. It is a brand new year. January. It's cold. It's cold here in the Northeast, um, but still no snow. So we're hoping for some snow this weekend. If it's not snowing, like, what's the point of it being cold? I just, I don't, I don't like it. Like, if it's going to be freezing... It needs to be snowing. Anyway, I hope your New Year's was good and fabulous. Um, Mine was pretty quiet and uneventful. Um, We always just hang out with our kids um, and have a ridiculous amount of confetti. And that's kind of my favorite part, just being, you know, with the kids. The family member that was most excited about New Year's Eve was my (laughs) four-year-old. Because he would see the confetti come in from Amazon and we went to Party City and got glow rings and hats and he got to stay up all night and it was just so cute. (laughs) The the year before actually we have this iconic video of him (laughs) ringing in the new year and he falls off the couch (laughs) and it's so, he's fine. (laughs) Okay, he didn't get hurt, he like popped right up and was cracking up but oh, it was so good. Um... (laughs) But <laughs> but my poor husband, so before he met us, um he lived kind of a very quiet, very neat um, life. Like his his house was very neat, you know, decorated, like top notch. Like it's like you walked into a showroom of West Elm, right? And then he meets me and all my kids and our chaos. Um, and we've kind of rubbed off on him over the years. He's I adore this man. Um, but one of the things that he has adapted to is our propensity for confetti on New Year's. And it's a lot. Like, a lot. In fact, at one point, he looked at me and he was like, babe, I'm pretty sure our living room has more confetti than Times Square does. <laughs> he was like, but it's okay. I'm going to clean it up and we can thank the, the Department of Sanitation. It was just so fucking cute. Yeah. So... I I think probably did have more confetti than Times Square did. I'm pretty sure it did. (laughs) The evolution of him and the confetti, right? So the first year that we all did the confetti, (laughs) he's so cute. He was so like appalled (laughs) by the mess that he didn't even kiss me on New Year's Eve. He was literally cleaning up the confetti. Like, as the ball is dropping, (laughs) as as we're saying Happy New Year, he's cleaning up the confetti. And then the next year he got through and he kissed me on New Year's Eve. And then, you know, as, as the ball had dropped, then he started cleaning up the confetti. And now he's like, you know what? Fuck it. I just know that every new year's day, I'm coming down here to clean up all this freaking confetti. It's so cute. And I'm like, no honey, I'll help you. Like, I don't mind. Um, but now he's just so cute now. He's got a shop back. He's like, no, I have a plan for cleaning up the confetti. I got this. So, I mean, there's literally confetti in the ceiling, in games, in our, our entertainment center. Like, it literally is everywhere. But that's part of the fun because then we'll find a confetti, like, in a game, like, in March. And we're like, yay, Happy New Year. Or there'll be a, confetti, a piece of confetti stuck to the ceiling and it'll trickle down, like, Fourth of, of July. And we're like, oh, yeah, that was from New Year's ah uh, but anyway that was our new year's we also watched the fish show um i don't know if any of you are fish fans out there the band fish um and we had gone to the show on the 30th but they played this iconic iconic show their game Henge show and apparently according to my husband they hadn't played game henge in like literally 35 years and they had like lizards on the stage and Oh my gosh, we, we were all sitting around like, I can't believe we missed this show. So that was part, we were just like, oh fuck, like it would have been so cool to be at that show. So a little bit of disappointment that we weren't ringing in the new year with fish at MSG. But anyways, it was still fun. So this episode, we are going to talk about how life with our narcissistic mother or father wasn't all that bad. Ugh. And that can sometimes be such a hard pill to swallow. It can be something that we can struggle with even embracing because sometimes we don't wanna remember the good times because then our empathetic hearts could lead us to picking up the phone, reconciling. And so we're gonna talk about all that today that you know what bottom line is there were good times and we just have to lean into it. So we're gonna talk about that. Um, so let's get started. All right, who's been there? You have a fleeting memory. You hear a song that reminds you of your mom or your dad, and you're like, Oh God, remember, man, that time was fun. That time was really nice, and you kind of get sucked back into that memory. Um, yeah, been there. <laughs> Totally been there, and been there many times on this no contact journey. Uh, for those of you who are new to the podcast, I've been no contact with my father and my stepmother for four years, and no contact with my mother and my brother for three and a half, almost four years. Um. So yeah, like they're family. We spent our entire lives with them i'm 47 and i just went no contact in my 40s so i had 40 years with them memories holidays traditions um formative years spent with them so when you reach a place where you realize that your family is toxic and you have to be no contact with them it doesn't take away the memories the memories just don't go away and, you know, it's kind of like I equate it to a breakup. You know, when you break up with a boyfriend or a girlfriend and you look back and all you can remember is the, are the good times, right? Like you can't remember the shitty times, but when you miss them, all you remember is the good times. Um, yeah. So we're going to talk about all of that today and just try to normalize that feeling and normalize it in a way where we can walk through it, embrace the emotion, and not pick up the phone and re-enter the cycle of toxicity with our narcissistic mom or dad. So I of course love the Eagles, I love music, and I heard actually the song on the way home from dropping my son off at preschool today. And I'd heard the song before and it resonated with me as far as this journey of no, being no contact with uh, your toxic family. But I'm going to sing the chorus, the pre-chorus, excuse me, for you. This song is The Heart of the Matter by Don Henley. But I'm learning to live without you now. But I miss you sometimes. The more I know, the less I understand. All the things I thought I knew, I'm learning again. Right? Like I'm learning to live without you now, but I miss you sometimes. And all the things that I thought I knew, I'm learning again. And isn't that just so appropriate to this no contact journey because You know, I feel like when we go no contact, I feel like, I don't know if you guys feel that, had felt this way, but when I went no contact, it was extremely burdensome, emotional, but also very freeing and peaceful and empowering and knowing that I was on the right path for my mental health, for the health of my children, for my family, for my husband... And I didn't ever think about the past, the good times. So when I had that first moment of, oh, wow, Mm, that was a really beautiful time. That was a fun time. I was like, shit. So we made it through another holiday season. I saw on some comments that some of you, your toxic family did try to hoover you back in. Mine did not. In fact, the kids didn't even get presents this year, which I was kind of surprised. I kind of held my breath every time we would get a package at the door or like a FedEx UPS shipment. So last year, my kids got these um, preloaded like Visa cards, but they're called like granny cards or something like that. So they came from my mother. But the thing about it is that once the kids activate them, my mother can see all of their purchases and can track what they bought. So when I realized that, you know, I, I handed them their card and I was just like, um, this is from your grandmother. You can have it. Like, you, you can spend it if you want. <laughs> to me, it was like fucking dirty money. Like the one I got for my four-year-old, I think it's still in my drawer. I didn't activate it. I'm like, fuck you. Um, but I, I gave my older children the option to spend the money if they wanted. And I just said, just so you're aware, um, she has an account where as soon as you activate it, she's gonna be able to see what you bought. <laughs> and so we were all sitting around and um, somehow one of us started a text thread, a group chat, and <laughs> one of the kids had the fabulous idea of like activating the card and then like going to a drug shop and buying drug paraphernalia <laughs> or going to a sex shop and <laughs> buying this <laughs> all this stuff from a sex shop And totally fucking with her. (laughs) We didn't. um, I think the notion that she, my mother was going to be tracking their purchases, I think creeped them out and I don't think they ever activated or used it. And so that's probably why my kids didn't get any presents this year, but I was low key happy about it because uh, it just creeps me out. Like I, it just, it creeps me out that she still has a connection, and it's just her creepy way of trying to love bomb and get back in. But, you know, she called me, a f- gosh, it's been a couple months now, and I didn't respond. And my husband was like, mm, you didn't get presents this year. The kids didn't get presents this year because she, she's gotten the hint. And so, good. I'm glad she got the hint because every time, like I said, a, a knock on the door would come and be like, fuck Who is it from? Who's it from? Who's it from? I can't breathe. Anyways, so the holidays, you know, they can bring out nostalgia, Hallmark movies, traditions, Facebook posts, commercials of families coming together. And I was actually fine this holiday season. I didn't have much nostalgia. I actually connected a lot with my grandmother. Um, so I really just turned on big band music that they used to listen to. And my grandmother and I would bake cookies every year. And I really just cr- tried to connect there and just tried to sit with the happy memories of my grandmother. And in addition to creating, of course, new memories with my kids, but um, I really just kind of did that this year. And so you know, the longer you get on this no contact journey, um, and the more memories that you make that don't involve your toxic family, it does get easier. So you can hang on to that. So the holidays aren't a time that I struggle. Sometimes it's like out of the blue or like Barry Manilow used to be our musician that we loved when I was growing up. Barry Manilow sang at the Rockefeller Christmas tree lighting. And I was like, Oh gosh, how do I feel? Oh, you know, mental health check-in. How do I feel? How do I feel? Nope. I'm good. I'm good. Um, so sometimes it'll just hit you out of the blue. So for me, like I said, we had gone to a fish show at MSG. So we're getting on the train and I was kind of walking by myself. You know, everybody was walking ahead of me and I'm just kind of strolling. And I, um, all of a sudden it hit me. And it's just funny. Cause like I said, sometimes like it'll hit you out of the blue and it hit me like a moment of missing my mom hit me. I was literally walking down the stairs of platform B get to get on the train. You know, I'd never been on the train with my mom before. It didn't make any sense. But she grew up in New York, so she has memories of being on the train. And I did know that. So maybe that's what sparked it. I don't know. But I got on the train and I sat down and my husband can read me like a book. And he looked at my face. He's like, what's the matter? And I'm like, I just thinking about my mom. He's like, oh, are you okay? And I'm like, yeah, I'm okay. And I almost went live on, on Instagram to kind of document how I was feeling and kind of walking through it because it's totally normal. And I think the more times that you are hit with these memories of, or, and you're hit with the emotions of missing your mom or your dad, the more you walk through them, the, the easier that they do get. But so that, that was my memory for me and it, it, it doesn't sound very profound. I just sat on the train and just kind of sat with my feelings and, you know, I think the main, isn't it funny? My heart is racing right now. <laughs> if you guys could feel my heart is like racing right now. It's just so funny how they still have such a physical response. You know, my mother is able to elicit such a physical response. It's crazy. But anyway, I just sat there on the train and I just, I kind of thought about what well, what if she was here? You know, like, what would it be like? And our mind never takes us to the discard, the overwhelming toxic, emotional, and verbal abuse. It never takes us there. It takes us to the one beautiful moment that maybe we experienced during the love bombing stage. And so that's where my mind went. And, you know, I just sat with it for a second and I was like, okay, what if my mom was here? And I think our tendency is to want to picture what it would be like if we had had a healthy mom or a healthy dad, but that's not our reality. So as I sat there and I was like, okay, what would it be like? I went to picturing what I would want it to look like. Well, that's where we need to stop ourselves. We can't picture what we want it to look like. Part of our healing is embracing what actually happened. And yes, there were some good times, but as we navigate this no-contact journey, we have to embrace what really happened. We can embrace the good times, but as we are no-contact and we have a moment of sadness where we are missing our... Narcissistic mother, or our father, or our toxic family member—we cannot sit in a place where we we are in this delusional phase where it's it's we're picturing how we want it to be because that's where my mind initially went. I was like, well, you know, I'm just picturing her on the train with us, you know, having a glass of wine, and we're on our way to the fish show and all together and MSG, and she would love it because she loves the city, and then I'm like, no, Terry, that's not how it would be. That's not how it would be. She would be with us. Let's bring it to reality. She would be self-conscious about what she was wearing. She would be annoyed about something. She wouldn't like the train time. She definitely wouldn't like fish. She would would probably be micromanaging um, where we went to eat before. The whole experience would be tense because that's what it was like with our Narcissistic mothers and fathers, right? That's what it was like with our toxic family. It was always tense. We were always trying to just keep them happy and you know, make sure everything was okay, so then we could try to enjoy ourselves. Ugh. When I really just sat back and thought, no, reality is she'd be in a mood. She would be. She would have a judgmental thing about what I was wearing what my kids were wearing, uh, what my husband was doing, the kind of music, the people at the shows, you'd have something to say. It would not be fun. And so in just moments, I worked through that, tucked it away and embraced my family, embraced the people that were there with me. And we went to the fish show and we had a great time. So I don't know what what your triggers are. If your triggers may be, like I said, music, maybe it's a photo, maybe it's a movie, maybe it's a TV show, um, maybe it's a smell or a change in the weather pattern. You know, our families are in our DNA. Our families were part of our core memories, they were part of our childhood and our growing up. So, of course, they're going to rear their ugly, toxic heads and not always in a toxic way. So whatever memories and more memories come back for you, I just, I encourage you to embrace it. But while you embrace it, I also want you to remember that the relationship in its entirety was completely and utterly dysfunctional. So let's review the cycle of the narcissist. My favorite explanation is by psychology today, because it just breaks it down for me in such a concrete, uh, succinct way. So for number one, there's a defining event where the narcissist will find a reason to explode. Number two, regaining control. This is the stonewalling stage. It's the silencing, the punishment, the discard stage. Then there's the peace and quiet stage. This is where the gaslighting happens. This is where life is very peaceful. You as the victim, you're just pining for the narcissist's love back. You are trying to make it up to them. You're in a, a frantic state of how can I make this right? How can I have my mom or dad back in my life? And then there's the tension buildup where the narcissist is losing control of you or the narrative or the situation and tension builds out of the victim's fear of the narcissist and the narcissist fear of losing control. And let's remember, life is only peaceful as long as the narcissist has his or her way. Another thing that I noticed as I really look back at some of the memories and ways that I miss my mom and my dad, well, it's different for me because I really didn't have my dad growing up. The memories of my dad are from adulthood because he really wasn't in my childhood. But the memories of my mom, the warm memories, if I really think about it, they were from childhood. They were either from childhood or they were during the phase in my adulthood when I was catering, compromising, and doing nothing but keeping her happy. And another healing epiphany for me, I think, was the acknowledgement that My mom was a very good mom during the baby years, during the toddler years, and during the teenage years when I was being very compliant and very obedient. So I noticed those were all times where she was in absolute control of everything that she did for me, made all the decisions. Um, I don't know if I ever shared this on the podcast, but when I was born, I think I did. I I must have. I'll say it again. Um, When I was born, so my mother actually lost a child in 1974, two years before she had me. And she apparently knew that something was wrong, that she knew that she was going to lose this baby. She kept saying to the doctor, I'm going to lose this baby. And I mean, it was the 70s. I don't even think they had sonogram technology. Anyways, she gave birth and the baby had died at birth. Um, And... So then she was desperate to have another baby and got pregnant with me. Um, apparently, she was nervous during the entire pregnancy. And then, when she finally had me, the doctor said that there was something wrong. The cord was wrapped around my neck three times. And the story goes that the doctor said, There's something wrong with the baby. And, you know, back in those days, they knocked out the mom um, during a C-section, you weren't awake during a C-section. So they went to put her to sleep. And apparently she was fighting the anesthesia. And this was a whole like traumatic thing. So she finally, they knocked her out and I was born cord was wrapped around my neck three times, but I was fine. Well, when she woke up and the doctor handed her me, she was like, that's not my baby. My baby died. That's not that she's not mine. She's too beautiful, and that's not my baby. And apparently, my dad was just like, "No, like this this is our little girl. You know, she actually lived, and she didn't believe it, which is so sad. It's really it, it's horrific. And it just shows you that the trauma in my family um is really deep and sad. And I'm sure I've shared with you that, My grandmother lost a son at birth. My brother actually lost a son three days after birth. Um, And in my head, and and of course, then my mother losing her son um, two years before I was born, when I went to have my kids, I just, I thought that might be a generational curse. And I was so afraid when I was pregnant with my son because I thought I was going to lose him too. It was just traumatic. Um, Anyways, I... I reference this book all the time. It didn't start with you. Fantastic, fantastic book about family trauma and how family trauma is in our DNA. I'm going totally off course right now, but I'm going to finish the story. Anyways, my mom actually went home from the hospital and was still in denial that I was hers. So my grandmother had to step in and take care of me for the first, and she was also really sick from the C-section. So the story goes, um, so my grandmother took care of me for the first few weeks of my life. Um, all that to say, when she finally began to bond with me and she began to take care of me, so the story goes, um, when I was a baby, um, I think that her control came from a place of serious trauma, worried about losing another baby. So, you know, there were valid reasons for her fear because of where she came from, because of the traumatic events that she had lived through, losing her brothers, losing a baby at birth. So, you know, I, I, I understand it, right? But all that to say... She was a good mom. I was well taken care of. I in every picture, I always saw of me as an as an infant, I was very well taken care of. Um, never sat in a dirty diaper, very clean, um, didn't go without. I mean, we didn't have a lot of money, but always looked very cute. My hair was always done. Um, and that continued. Into my adolescence, you know, I, I, from the outside, looked like a very well taken care of child. Um, you know, I was not neglected in that way. And so I think that my mom really got a lot of pride and she took pride in taking care of me. Um, why, I don't know, I don't want to psychoanalyze, whether I was an extension of her, or something that made her feel validated. I don't know. I feel like that could be a total another episode. But when I was sick, she would always take care of me. Um, when I was little, things like that, right? Warm memories. So as I grew, at the same time, I remember the discard periods. And I didn't have that vocabulary, I didn't have the jargon associated with narcissism. I just knew that. I would do something and my mom would take her love away from me and I would do anything to try to get it back. But I also remember times, whether they were during the hoovering and love bombing stage, that there were some very warm times. My mom would let me sleep in her bed and we'd watch movies. She would wake me up some mornings and say, hey, do you want to play hooky and go to the beach? And we'd go to the beach and have tuna sandwiches together. She would let me stay up late. You know, so we have warm memories. We would go to concerts together. And then I just find the warm memories begin to fade the older I get. And clearly it's because she was losing control of me. When I started to create boundaries, when I started to express a part of myself that she didn't approve of, the memories became colder and colder and colder. And it's just funny because... As an adult, the warm memories are not there. And I wonder if it's the same for you. You know, it's, it's the warm memories of childhood. And I think that perhaps the warm memories feel so warm because they came from a place where we had been discarded. And all we wanted was that love back. So when we finally got the love back, oh my God, it felt so fucking good and so fucking warm. It's like being cold and coming into a nice warm fire and just sitting by the fire. And you remember that, right? And listen, they don't call it love bombing for no reason. Whoever named it love bombing was 100% fucking spot on. You think about the nuclear bomb, right? The nuclear bomb hits the ground, the mushroom cloud, and then there's the fallout. There's the blast that comes. I don't know if you guys have watched Oppenheimer, fascinating, horribly sad movie, but learned a lot about the nuclear bomb. Um, But then you, I, I guess it was like, what, six minutes later, you hear the sound from the nuclear bomb, okay? And then you have, sometimes years, decades later, the nuclear radiation fallout from that bomb. And that's what it's like when you're love-bombed by your narcissistic mother or father. You're in such want and desperation and need for it. And the love-bombing is not only that moment and that act, but it has residual effects and fallout long after that love-bomb has been dropped onto you. And I venture to say even into our no contact journey, the fallout of that love bomb, we're still feeling. So this transition into adulthood where we started pushing back, where she began to press her opinion and not win and this battle sort of happened and then the discards became very frequent. My therapist, I remember teaching me that my method of operation came from being discarded as a child, learning exactly how to avoid it, and then living my life accordingly. I would live my life to avoid the discard. Well, as you get older and you realize you're in a toxic situation, you realize that your mother is a narcissist and you start to break free, you start to listen to your own voice, you start to set boundaries, you start to go low contact, and ultimately when you, if and when you've found no contact, you know, the loving times were few and far between. And if they were loving times, they were during the honeymoon phase after the discard had taken place. And for me, it was when I had... Missed her, had a warm, loving moment, and reached back, knocked on her door again, brought her back into my life. I would be tense wanting to make it up to her. I remember still feeling guilty, even into adulthood, when she would discard me, and then I would go back to her and feeling guilty. And I remember one time she threw on my face, she was like, well, you wrote me into your divorce agreement. You said that the kids couldn't see me. And I remember being strong and Well, along my healing journey and saying to her, mom, don't you remember what you used to do to the kids? That's why I did that. The main thing was, you need to continue to make this up to me. How dare you have put me in a place where I had to discard you? And this is the creepy thing too. So when I, see, there were so many discards right before, leading up to actual no contact. Let me grab hold of the exact one. So she had discarded me. I had reached back right before our wedding and said, I really want you at our wedding, Mom. Um, You know, you need to be there. So, So flew her up. She was, you know, there for the wedding festivities. And it's just so weird. I feel like I didn't see this picture intentionally. Otherwise I would have lost my mind. Like I didn't look at the picture after I took it. It's very strange, but it was a couple days before the wedding. My mom had just gotten into town and we were having charcuterie. The house was under construction. So we were in like one of the bedrooms. So in the picture was myself, my mom and my daughters. And we were like being funny. And I think I had like celery in my teeth. I looked like a walrus and we we're all making funny faces. And in the middle is my mom. And she's literally flipping the camera, the bird, like, like, fuck you. And I swear to you, I didn't see that picture until a couple of years later, well into her final discard where I had decided to go no contact. And I couldn't believe it. I don't, I was just like, you know how you just scroll through your pictures and I, and I saw that picture and I was like, oh my fucking God, look at her. She looked like demonic. She looked evil And here we are, our three happy faces, and she's flipping the bird like, fuck you. I couldn't believe my eyes. I couldn't believe my eyes. And I was so delusional because here I thought, I have my mom back. I have my mom here for my wedding. This is so fun. We're all together. Oh my gosh. It, it, It was insane. It was just... It was insane. First of all, it's insane that I didn't see the picture at the time because I would have been like, "Mom, what? Why are you doing that?" I didn't. I I don't. I don't know why. It's just so weird. But it's moments like those that, when a a wave of "Oh, I miss my mom" hit me, I think of times like that because it's never going to be what we want it to be ever. It's it's never going to be what we want it to be. So, the understanding that number one, it's okay to miss them, that we need to lean into that feeling that our narcissistic mother or father are not comprised of all good or all bad. People aren't. People have good and evil in them. I believe that. So while the overall relationship with my narcissistic mother is totally, highly, utterly dysfunctional and I cannot handle it, um... There were some good times. There were some loving times. At times, she was a loving mom. Now, am I going to dive into the whys around that? No, I don't think it's worth it. I think just for us to acknowledge and embrace that there were good times is healing in and of itself. What was ultimately healing for me was acknowledging, yes, there were good times. And you know what? My mom wasn't a villain all the time. She was human. She had some loving times. She had some very evil times. But the totality of it is toxic, and I can't be around it. And, you know, it's better for us too and our healing. And it moves us out of that bitterness stage when we really embrace our parents for what they are. It, it feels good to, to be in that phase of, yeah, fuck them. You know, they're 100% villains, and fuck them. They're evil, horrible people. Well, yes and no. You know what I mean? Yes and no. My mom came from a place of trauma, serious trauma. Um, She can't get out of her own way. She has narcissistic personality disorder. She will never change. And those are just facts that we have to deal with. And it helps our healing because the whole point of healing is staying on this no contact journey for our mental sanity, to protect our kids, to break toxic generational cycles, to keep our families together because we know it's not gonna be any different if we go back. So I was kind of all over the place (laughs) during this episode, you guys, I apologize if I was like But to summarize, here's what I want you guys to take from this. Number one, it's okay to miss your mom or your dad. It's okay. I feel you, I've been there, I get it, okay? Still happens. Number two, I want you to lean into it. And sometimes if you're recently no contact, you can't. It's too emotional. Then you know what? Go ahead and stuff that shit. Again, I'm not a therapist, so I can get away with saying that. <laughs> I don't know if that's the healthiest option, but that's what I did. Until I was strong enough to face it, I, ha- I had to stuff it for, for... For myself and for my ability to move on and raise my kids, I had to stuff some things. I had to. They come up eventually. Don't worry, it will come up again, whether it's in therapy or in another missing your mom moment. It'll come out again. You'll eventually deal with it, okay? But if you have to cope by stuffing it for right now, then fucking do it, okay? Number, what am I on? Number three. I'm all over the place, you guys. I apologize. The next thing I want you to remember is when you find yourself missing your mom or dad, I want you to embrace their humanity. I want you to embrace the fact that they were comprised of some good and some bad, but overall you were in a toxic narcissistic cycle of abuse and reaching back because you have a warm moment is not going to be healing for you because you know the cycle, you know how it's going to end, you know yourself. And the only way it will work with your narcissistic mother is if you do everything she says, dress how she says, have the people in your life that she says, raise your kids how she wants. If you're willing to do that, you will have a relationship with your narcissistic mother. That's the only way. But if you want to be your authentic self, have your own opinions, have your boundaries, have your own families, say what you want, do what you want, eat what you want, be where you want... Raise your kids how you want. You will never have a healthy relationship with your narcissistic mother. You're not going to, I promise you. And then the final thing is I want you to think about it in reality terms. Don't think about what you wish it would be. You can cry about and grieve that aspect that you don't have that. But we need to stop fantasizing that we have a loving mother by our side because we don't. So... We have to grieve that, and we have to not fantasize about what it would be like if our mother was with us when we feel those warm, loving moments. Because that—that's not who our mom was. That was a moment with her. It's not who she is. So that's it, friends. I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of quiet at the end of this one. If you have not joined our community over on Instagram, Character Outs Podcast, join the fun and the snark, and. And If you're struggling, if you need to vent, if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, remember you can be a guest by us chatting and having it be kind of an interview style. Or if you are not there yet, but you want to share your story, you can write your story in form of a letter and I can read it on the podcast um, because... I love to say our power lies in embracing our story and telling our story. So if you are at that point, please contact me at characteroutspodcast at gmail.com. I would love to hear from you. That's all I got for today. Cheers till next time, friends.